Hey, thanks so much for joining us on our channel today. We want to encourage you to subscribe and like today's video. Also, today's word is brought to you by our truth partners. These are people who want to financially invest to help us get this message of truth to around the nation and around the world. You can become a truth partner today by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give. Again, thank you for partnering with us on this message of truth. And thank you for liking and subscribing to today's video. God bless you. I pray this sermon blesses your life. And so today I wanna to talk to you. Um, I just wanna dive into that, a portion of that as it relates to encouragement and as it relates to discipline. And um, I don't have to uh, impress anybody, praise the Lord. And um, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, I see pastors wear themselves out trying to find the next series all while we serve a limitless Christ and a Christ that's available to every single person. And for the life of me, I don't know why we teach people how to achieve their dreams when they don't even know Jesus. Jesus is everything. Um, he is the dream. He is the destiny. And at the end of the service, I'm going to bring, I'm going to close our service today by bringing all the dads down to the front, and I just want to pray a blessing over you. And four years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I want you to, I want you to be obedient to me. I want you to do this. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, it was, father, it was before Father's Day, and you know, Father's Day is this quick little holiday, and you blink and it's over, and they'll buy you some little tie they bought on your credit card, and you won't even know what happened. And, <laughs> and I said, okay, Lord. And he said, he said son, I, I did not make you to be a receiver. I made you to be a giver. And that's one of the reasons why you're frustrated most Father's Days is because your role's reversed. You're reversing your role. I made you to be a giver. And so that Father's Day, um, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to give your wife and all of your children a prophetic word for the year. And so I got them all a gift, and I came in on Father's Day. They were all shocked. They didn't know what was happening. I gave them a gift, and I read this prophetic word over their life. And I put it in their room, and I declared that over them. And as I began to speak it over them, they just wept. Because fathers, you need to be the prophetic voice in your home. Do you know how many people in this room have never received a prophetic word from their parent? And if you were ever bullied in school, those are demonic prophecies. And most demonic prophecies are so short you remember them. You're dumb, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, you're a loser, you're a failure. Nobody likes you. These are all demonic prophecies that are spoken over our children many times. And they come home from school and they say nothing about it. And we as parents are silent. When the enemy opens his mouth, we need to open ours. We need to put a word against a word. And we need to be the prophetic voice of God to our children. Do you know that Jewish parents prophesy over their children every time they introduce them? They say, this is Billy, our attorney. Billy's two years old. This is Sally, our doctor. And they prophesy destiny over them while they're little. They don't go to their kids and say, what do you want to be? I want you to be whatever you want. You know, we don't even do that to God. We don't go to God and say, God, let me do what I want. We go to God and say, God, what do you want me to be? God, what do you want me to do? God, I want to do what you want me to be. How many of you pray that prayer to Jesus? You say, Jesus, I want to be what you want. But then we go to our kids and say, do whatever you want. 
They're looking for a parent that gets a hold of God and can speak destiny over their life, not just some guidance counselor that did not raise them for 18 years. I'm not against guidance counselors. I'm just saying that's not their parent. And this comes from spending time with Jesus and allowing God to speak to you in visions and dreams. God's first language is not English. God's first language is visions and dreams. And God will show you the plan and the purpose that he has for your children in prayer so that you can begin to declare the destiny that God has for their life. Can somebody say amen? amen. So what I've done with my staff is I've met with them and we've put together six prophetic words. So at the end of the service, when all the dads are down front, I'm going to turn on the state-of-the-art overhead transparency machines. How many of you know what those are? I'm going to turn them on, and there's six different prophetic words, and all of the prophetic words are just Scripture. It's just Scripture. And I want you to read them, and I want you to pick one for every member of your family. I want you to pick the tube up and take it with you. If you're a single mother, I want you to do this as well. And I want you to pick that, and I want you to go home today. Maybe you add to it, maybe you don't. But I want you to sit down at the living room or the kitchen table sometime today or before you go to bed. And I want you to read that and declare that over your child. Frame it. Put it in their room. And every time you go in the room to pray for them, prophesy that over them. That's a prophetic word from their parent. You are your child's pastor. You are the prophetic voice in your home. And we need to be a voice of God to our children. And sometimes you are a priest and sometimes you are a prophet. Sometimes you have to talk to your children about what God is saying. And sometimes you have to talk to God on behalf of your children. Sometimes you're a priest and sometimes you have to operate as a prophet. But you are the voice of God in your home. Can somebody say amen? And... When you talk about Jesus, it gets his attention. Mike Bickle says, one of the most basic forms of getting God's attention is simply talking to him. Just simply talking to Jesus. If you want to change the atmosphere in your marriage, talk about Jesus in your marriage. Just bring up Jesus. You and, your, you and your spouse can't get along, just bring up Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus. Watch how the atmosphere changes. If you want to change the atmosphere with your children, talk about Jesus. You want to change the atmosphere in church, talk about Jesus. You know how many churches don't talk about Jesus? You know how many churches I've been to to preach and nobody mentioned Jesus? I'm the first, I was like, how am I the first one to mention Jesus? It's all about Jesus. In fact, we did not even build the service today for you. We built it for him. So many churches are like, we did all of this with you in mind. No, we didn't do any of this with you in mind. We did all of this with him in mind. Maybe you come, maybe you don't. But I'd rather wonder if you're going to come than wonder if he's going to come. I would rather create a space for Jesus and invite people to come rather than the other way around. 
Hey, I just want to take a moment and let you know that today's sermon is brought to you by our Truth Partners. If you're interested in being a Truth Partner, simply go to creativechurch.com slash give and select Truth Partners today. Again, please subscribe and like today's video. It's blessing you, it's blessing your family. And hey, let's get back to the word. So Moses built the tent of meetings in Exodus 33, eight through 10. It's about meeting the Lord. I listen to people and pastors and I was just with some pastors this week and many people want to fill stadiums, but God wants to fill your room. God wants to fill every room of your life. Exodus 33, 8 through 10. So it was whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle that all the people rose. I was just in Israel a few weeks ago and I was at a synagogue that Jesus preached at. I took my oldest three teenagers with me because I wanted them to see that this is a real place, that Jesus really lived. This isn't Wakanda. This is a real place that Jesus really lived. Come on, somebody. This isn't a Marvel movie. What we, our faith is real. It, it, it really, it, Jesus really lived 6,000 years. And I walked in this synagogue and the, the podium, you know, we have like a podium here. The podium was there and it was a stone. And the rabbi, Jesus would have taken the, the Torah, the scroll and rolled it out. And he read from the Torah. And it's interesting because in the synagogue there, the rabbi sits, that's why the podium's real low. So he sits to read and everybody else stands. And I'm like, how did we screw this up so bad? I, now I'm standing the whole time, they're all sitting. But in, in, when Jesus preached, everybody else, everybody stood and, and the rabbi sat. That's why we stand for the reading of the word. That's not a culture, that's not a black thing, a white thing, a Hispanic thing, that's a Bible thing. Somebody say amen about that. We, we stand for the reading of the word. So Exodus 33, so it was when Moses went out of the tabernacle that all the people rose. Each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses. They watched, they stood and watched. Everybody say they stood and watched. They stood and watched until Moses had gone into the tabernacle. You want to change a nation? Learn to get in the presence of Jesus. You want to change your family? Learn to get in the presence of Jesus. Because they're watching. Your children are watching. The nation is watching. They all stood and watched somebody get in the presence of Jesus. Lord, let us be the kind of church and leaders and dads and parents that know how to access the presence of the Lord. Get around leaders who know how to access the presence of God. Because accessing the presence of God is not fake, it's tangible, it's real. It's, you can feel it, you can see it. And you can trust leaders that know how to access the presence of God 
Because a leader who knows how to access the presence of God loves Jesus more than they love you. That's why you can trust them. Praise the Lord. So God, make us the people that you can trust with your presence. Everybody just say that. Say, Lord, make me a person that you can trust with your presence. Because the best way to minister to people is to minister to the Lord. The Bible says they minister to the Lord. Everybody thinks that we should come to church, the pastors and the band should be ministering to you. We're not, we're ministering to the Lord. The best way to minister to you is, is to let you watch us minister to Jesus. The best way to love people is to love Jesus. The best way, if you wanna be a better father, love Jesus more. You wanna be a better mother, love Jesus more. You wanna be a better son or daughter, love Jesus more. Unless you actually think you can change people on your own strength. Because the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. And Moses had a relationship with the Lord. And it's amazing to me how when you talk about the Lord, it changes the atmosphere, and a lot of people have stopped talking about the Lord. Do you bring up Jesus in your home? Do you bring up Jesus in conversation? Is he a part of your life? Is he a member of your family? Isaiah 41, 17 says about a group of people that the poor and needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched, and they thirst. That there are people in our community and in the Twin Cities that are hungry and thirsty for living water, and they're running here and there and trying this and trying that, and they're trying this thing and that thing, and they're trying to quench this thirst. Most of what you see on the news today is people trying to find God and they're being given lies. In a community, in a church that wants to pursue God is the answer. And it's not sustainable. A move of God, how many of you want to have a move of God? A move of God is not sustainable from the pulpit. It's not sustainable from the worship team. It's, it's not something that that is sustained by the stage. It is only sustained when a group of people say, I am corporately and united. We are willing to take that step all together towards prayer, 
All of us together saying we're willing to move closer to Jesus. All of us together saying we're willing to move closer to the Lord in worship as a body and a community of faith. All of us united saying we choose Jesus. We want more worship. We want more prayer. We want the presence of God. It's not about pastor. It's not about the worship team. It's all of us so that we can become a watering hole for the Twin Cities of people who are thirsty and desperate for a move of God. And I feel an urgency over my life. And I feel an urgency over the body of Christ as we grow into the likeness of Jesus. Because we talk about destiny. Everybody say destiny. Turn me up a little bit in my monitors, Chris, or wherever. We, we, we talk about destiny and we talk about maturity. How many of you want to reach your destiny in Jesus? Come on. You want to reach your, how many of you want your children to reach their destiny? If we were to do a seminar on destiny and one on maturity, guess which one would be more attended? Everybody wants their destiny but you'll never reach your destiny without maturity. If I said we're doing a class, come back tonight on destiny, everybody would come. But if I said come back tonight, we're doing a class on maturity. Some of you are, are, are working really hard at your destiny, but are you working at your maturity? Some of you are really striving so that your kids reach their destiny and you talk to them about their destiny, but do you talk to them about their maturity? You will not reach your destiny without reaching your maturity. And I think we have kind of a shallow thought process when it comes to, to destiny. I think we have a very worldly point of view for most of us in the church today when we talk about destiny. Most of the time we talk about destiny, it's seen through some lens of entrepreneurship or being a homemaker or an artist or musician or singer or businessman and woman and you look at your kid and, and, and you think that's their destiny. But your destiny is so much bigger than that. Your destiny is so, is so much deeper than that. It, it's, it's so much more eternal, eternal than that. Do you really think Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, filled you with the Holy Spirit so you could just make a bunch of money? So that you could be famous? Just so that you could invent something? That, that your destiny is, is not in things or tasks? All of these things, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a businessman, a woman, a homemaker, I'm into real estate, I'm into invention, whatever. All these things are wonderful things that God may call you and, and use you to do. They're wonderful, but they're not eternal. None of that will mean anything when you stand before the throne. God's not gonna ask you what you did as a profession or how much money was in your stock account or what 
what awards you won in your profession or your degree, none of that is gonna mean anything at the throne. So then why do we feel like that's our destiny? Your destiny is bigger than what you do. Your destiny is found in who you are becoming. Who you are becoming is more important than what you're doing. That's why we're called human beings and not human doings. What are you becoming? And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and apostles are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that we will attain the unity of faith and the image of the Son of God to mature manhood. Everybody say mature manhood. To the measure, everybody say the measure, and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says the job of a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, evangelist, an apostle is to help you become like Jesus. That at the end of the day, your destiny is to become like Jesus. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. So when you woke up today, did you think that was your destiny? All last week when you, when you lived, were you living as if that was your destiny? When, when you were out running that schedule that you had, were you running that schedule as if your destiny was to be like Jesus? Or were you living life as if your destiny was to acquire things? or be known, or be famous, or to do, they're all great. I'm not saying that those are wrong. I'm not demonizing them. I'm saying they're second to your eternal destiny. What good is it if you are the next Elon Musk, but you don't know Jesus? What good is it if your kids are multimillionaires and have all these degrees and have accomplished all these wonderful things, but they don't know, that they're not like Jesus? What is it gonna matter when we stand before the throne? And I don't know how you feel. Maybe it's a bit of me because I'm turning 45 this year. Maybe it's a bit because I do believe we're in the last days. Maybe it's just what God's doing in my life. But I don't know, I feel more and more a focus on eternity. Like eternity matters. Like I want a parent with eternity in mind. I want to do marriage with eternity in mind. I want to live my life and plan my day with eternity in mind. And this is not just something for older people. I was at the mall just this week and I had this 18 year old young guy just running at me through the mall. And he's like, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan. I was there with my little sister, Audrey, and her family. You know, because that's the only time Minnesotans go to the Mall America when there's somebody in town to see it. And so I was at mall, and he's like, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan. He's like, what you preached last Sunday on prayer is changing my life. He's there with his friend. He's not ashamed. He's like, it's changing my life. 
18 years old. He's like, I'm up, I'm praying, I'm seeking God, I'm running after God. Romans 8, 29 and 30, listen to what it says. It says, for those he foreknew, he also pre-what? There's your destiny. Here's your destiny. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, he predestined that you would be conformed unto the of his. There's your destiny. That's your destiny. To be like Jesus. So if, I'm gonna, if, if God's called me to be like him, what am I doing to be like him? Am I imitating the things of this world or am I imitating Jesus? Am I trying to follow the trends and the patterns of this world or am I trying to follow the patterns of Jesus? Do I talk like the world or do I talk like Jesus? Is my heart on the things of this world or is my heart on the things of Jesus? Paul had a young man that was walking with him for a period of time but he walked away from Paul. And Paul says, he walked away from me because he loved this present world. He loved this world. He loved the things of this world. He says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Is our heart and our affection on Jesus that your destiny is to become in the maturity of manhood and the stature of Christ. Come here, Nicholas, run up here real quick. This is my second oldest son, Nicholas. He's 14, give him a round. He's 14 years old. Nicholas. This is what he said to me this morning. He said, happy Father's Day. I'm 5'10". <laughs> That's what he said to me. I did. He cannot, I only got him by like, like a fourth of an inch, maybe. He cannot wait to be my stature. The Bible says that your destiny is to walk in mature manhood and become the stature of Jesus. Since he was about this high, he could not wait to be able to look me in the eye. And then we go to the kitchen and we would draw a line. You get in there, come on, you 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 on. I'm never going to get there. Oh, my God. It's taking forever. He's going to get there. He's going to get there. He's going to get there. Once he started wearing a 13. Where's the 13? He's 14 years old. Now he wears my shoe size. And once he, once he got in my shoe size, he went down to my shoe closet. And he's like, this is now all <laughs> available to me. What I'm trying to get you to see is there are things that God has for you that you can't wear because you're 
you're not mature enough. There are garments that God has for you that he's waiting for you to grow into. There are destinies for the single people. There's a spouse for the couples with no kids. There are children for those of you that want to be an entrepreneur. All of these things are there. They're for you. But God is waiting on you to grow in maturity, not see you. You want the destiny, but you don't want the maturity. But God is saying my my destiny for your life is not, is not things. My destiny for you is to become like me so that he can see at 14, he can look me in the eye. The Bible says, when you see Jesus, his eyes were like a flame of fire, a consuming fire, that when you grow God, I feel the Holy Ghost. <sighs> that when you grow in your maturity, you can look at Jesus in his eyes and you will see a consuming fire that will burn up everything in your life that is not like him. And all of a sudden you'll say, I don't need that. And that's not important. And this is not valuable. And you will never be able to do that until you grow into the stature where you can look him in the eye. Moses met God in the tent, in the doorway. And the Bible says that God talked with Moses like a friend because Moses had grown into the stature the stature of God this is your destiny it is not about you winning some award it's not about you making a certain amount of money it's not about having things God wants you to have those things he wants you to have all of it he wants you to be blessed 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 all of that all of that Second, to you looking and walking in the image of God. So as a father, as you prophesy over your children, I don't want to just prophesy over you. You're going to make money and you're going to, you're going to be this or you're going to be that because his eternal destiny, his eternal destiny is that Nicholas would be like Jesus. What good is it if he's all this money and all these things, but he's not like Jesus. His heart would be hardened. Because once they walk away from Jesus, they're going to start walking away from you. They're going to start walking away from their siblings. They're going to start walking away from the plan and the purpose that God has for their life. And sometimes we push them into all the things of this world. We push them, we drive them here, we take them there. All that stuff is great. Second, to who they are becoming in Christ. So as parents, we sit back and we say, I want my kids to walk in their destiny. But are we helping them walk in their maturity to become like Jesus? 
to prophesy over them. You will reach your destiny in Christ. Give them a big God bless you. I love you. And it takes you being coachable. It takes you being teachable. I know some people say, well, I'm not like Jesus. I'm just a person. Paul, Paul rebuked the church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 3, he rebuked them. He said, why are you acting like mere humans? Why do you act like that? You're not a mere human. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a city set on a hill. You are not just mere people. You have been called out of darkness into this marvelous light. But it takes you being coachable. It takes you being encouraged. Everybody say encouraged and disciplined. Everybody wants to go to the school of encouragement. Nobody wants to go to the school of discipline. If you had good parents, you had both. You had encouragement and you had discipline. How many of you now have lived long enough to thank God you were disciplined? Come on. You've been through the counseling and everything and now you can say, <laughs> I'm kidding. But you're glad that you were disciplined. And now how many of you can raise your hand to say, I realize that discipline my parents discipline me because they love me. You, you can see that now. Let me read this last passage and we'll go. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Verse 1 says, Therefore also since we, this is New Testament, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here comes the discipline part. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against him. At least you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against your sin. He says, for many of you, he told the church, he said, for you, sin, you're soft on sin. He said, you should resist sin to the point of bloodshed. I'm not talking about towards people and, and, and sinners. Because how many of you know we should love people with the love of Jesus? Come on, can I get an amen about that? Paul's not talking about bloodshed towards other people. He's talking about towards yourself. That we should become intense about pushing sin away from our life. That we shouldn't be passive with it because sin destroys destiny. Verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. 
Now, some people say don't spank your kids. It teaches them to hit. I don't know what it teaches your kids. As somebody who is spanked, I feel like I can speak on the subject. <laughs> it taught me to be able to sit down so I could exist in society. That's what it taught me. You do whatever you want. That's what it taught me. But let's hear what Jesus, let's hear how Jesus deals with his sons. My son, do not despise discipline from the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked. Do you know how many people have no one in their life that can tell them they're wrong? Do you know one of the greatest blessings you could ever give your spouse is permission to correct you? I never get an amen on that. I don't care what church I preach at, anywhere in the nation, I never get an amen. One of the greatest blessings you could ever give your spouse is to say, I give you permission to correct me. If there's anything in my life that you see that's not like Jesus, I need you to point it out to me. Verse six, for those the Lord loves, he spanks. Let's read it. Let's read it in the actual text. For those the Lord loves, he disciplines and spanks every son whom he receives. If you endure a spanking, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father cannot discipline? And if you are without discipline, of which you all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate son. You say you're a son of God, but nobody can discipline you? You're not a son. God is saying, you are not my child if I cannot discipline you. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subject to our heavenly father? Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us or disciplined us and it see, as it seemed best to them. But he for our profit. God says, I spank you for your benefit. I discipline you for your benefit. Because I love you. I don't let you just do whatever you want to do. Because you're my child. How many of you know God will discipline the children that are his? God didn't care if those other kids went to Tarshish. But Jonah, if you get on that boat, I will call a whirlwind to come get you. Don't you think you've grown now and you can do whatever you want to do? Well, the other kids is going to Tarsus. I don't care what them other kids is doing. They're not my child. You are my child. And if you get on that boat, I am coming to get you. This is the love of a father. It profits you because I discipline you. Verse 11, now no 
discipline seems joyful for the present, but painful. Come on. Anybody remember those disciplines? You hyperventilating? <laughs> Anybody ever had God spank you? You ain't been spanked till God picks a switch. Anybody ever had their mama pick a switch? They had a switch. My mama had a switch bush. And she said, go out. You remember Audrey? That big yellow switch bush. And she said, go out there and pick a switch. I come back with one about that big. She said, no child, let me show you what kind to get. We'd be in the car, Audrey and I'd start fussing. She'd have the switch in the visor. Am I right, Audrey? It seems painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If her and I didn't get along in the car, we no iPads back then on the road to grandmama's house. Come on, somebody. You had to get along. And if we didn't get along, my mama would spank us. She just grabbed that visor and <laughs> all this while we're driving. And that's why her and I can get along to this day. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen to what it said. This is the word of God. It may be painful, but nevertheless, afterwards, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people, holiness. Without, no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness. Everybody say bitterness. A lot of you become bitter when somebody tries to discipline you. And the Bible says many are defiled. Look at what it says. And for this reason, many become defiled. It will defile your home. Bitterness will defile your marriage. Bitterness will defile your relationship with your children. Least there be any fornication or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit blessing, he was rejected. But he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with many tears. Did you see that verse? Leave that verse up. Look at what it says. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with many tears. See, you think you can change when you get ready to change. You think you can stop doing it when you decide to stop. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you can, you can continue in sin so long that when you want to try to change, you won't be able to. That when you want to finally get free and you're crying to get free, it's too late. Learning how to respond to discipline will save your life. 
Did you hear what I said? It will save your life. Learn to allow the Lord to discipline you. And I listen to people, and they come up with all these weird theologies. You know, I hear people talk about all these weird doctrines around what they like. Well, you know, if it doesn't feel good, then that's not God. You know, it just doesn't feel encouraging. Like, Pastor Sermon just wasn't encouraging, so that's not Jesus. You know, and they got on to me at that church about my attitude, so that's, that's just, I'm just not getting good vibes, so that's not God. <laughs> It just can't be God if I'm not, you know, I just don't feel encouraged, you know? It's just, it's just not encouraging. So that's, that's just in a way that's not Jesus. Pain, suffering, discipline, correction are all part of the package when it comes to walking with Jesus. It is encouragement and discipline. And you need to have people in your life that can tell you the truth. That can just go to you and say, I'm sorry, but your attitude is terrible. And you need to go spend time with Jesus because you're not like Jesus, you're like you. And you need to go spend time with Jesus. Because you has all these emotions and feelings and discouragement and self-loathing and and fears, and none of this is godly. All of this is demonic. It's all demonic. And it's only freed when you get in the presence of Jesus. And you say, Lord, I need to be like you. And some of you, like me, have a very strong flesh, and you're gonna have to spend a lot of time with Jesus in order to be like him. Others don't. They, they can spend maybe an hour with the Lord, and they come out like Jesus, and you're like, it's the same thing with my body. There are people in this church that eat five times more food than me and walk around like, there was a kid at the gym the other day. Where's Nico? And he's like, the kid's a rail. And he eats all the time. He's like, I'm trying to gain weight. I'm like, I can mentor you. I will coach you. I will be your weight gain coach. And they eat all this food and they're like rails. But my metabolism is like a one, or a dead. And I basically have to eat nothing. I'm like working out five days a week, five hours a week. It's like so hard. So for other people, it's easier. That part is easier. For me, it's harder. It may be the same way in your walk with God. Somebody, you're just, you just gotta get to know you. And you're just like, honestly, my flesh is out of control. I need to go spend two or three hours with Jesus in order to be like Jesus, because that's my destiny. So as we write these prophecies over our family, just remember their destiny is not about money. All these things are wonderful. I'm not attacking them. God wants you to have all these wonderful things, homes and property and blessings and, and business and all those things are great but you have to seek him first. And this comes down to prayer. Like I'm telling all of you pray. Everybody say pray. pray. Like some of you come to church, sit there, and I'm telling you as your pastor, do this. It's changed my life. I want you to do this. And you're like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna do what I want. And you know what you're doing is not working. That's a rebellious spirit. And I'm, I'm calling that out today. 
I'm just not going to get up and do it. I'm going to do what I want. This is what I'm saying. You have to let yourself be pastored. I'm not just some guy on YouTube. I'm not just some other preacher. I'm, I'm your pastor. So let your heart be pastored. And say, pastor's calling the church to prayer. God's calling us to prayer. I'm going to get up and pray. I'm going to reach my destiny. And you're going to have a hard time helping your kids become like Jesus when you're not like Jesus. Kids are terrible at doing what you ask them to do. They're amazing at doing what they see you do. Did you get something out of this today? Come on, give God a praise. Hey, if this sermon blessed you and your family, I want to encourage you to be a truth partner. You can do that by simply going to creativechurch.com slash give and partnering with us to help get this message of truth out to more people in our nation and around the world. It is our truth partners that make this a reality. Again, thank you for subscribing to our channel. Thank you for liking today's video. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon.